across the pond today. We have Tiana Jackson, a talent and literary agent for the Jackson Agency. She decided to start her own agency after finding barriers to entry not just for herself, but for artists and writers of color, LGBTQI+, identifying senior citizens. She also made history by becoming the first Writers Guild of America franchise in Atlanta, Georgia, and is believed to be the first known black woman with 100% ownership of her agency to become a WGA franchise in LA, and has recently been featured on the New York Times alongside other black agents talking about Black Lives Matter, diversity and inclusion in the entertainment industry. It's a very interesting conversation and I hope you stay with us. Second time is the charm. Uh, I hope you're doing well today. Yes, I'm good. No worries. And I wanted to go and jump into everything. So let me uh, ask you to just quickly introduce yourself and just tell us where you're based, where you're from, and what is it that you do? Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Tiana Jackson. I'm a talent and literary agent. I have a talent and literary agency called the Jackson Agency that is headquartered in Century City, California, with all the names you know and love. And we have a client list that um, is international, actually. So we have clients in every major market, ranging from actors all the way through to writers. I want to get into how everything started, but I know that you have like a sort of a big announcement more or less happening because I saw today that you created the Black Agent Network. Yeah, we the press release actually went out, I believe, first thing this morning, and I am a part of the Black Agent Network. I can't take 100% credit, obviously, for the creation of it because Ezra from the F State actually came up with the name. He was better with the naming than I was. I was just going to call us the Black Association of Talent Agents, but he said, you know what, this is a Black Agents Network. And so during COVID, um, with everything that was going on in the United States with respect to Black Lives Matter, with respect to just socioeconomic issues, I started reaching out to the Black agents that owned their own agencies. And we started attempting to have meet and greets where once a month we'd get together and talk for a minute, introduce ourselves to one another, network, if you will. And with the goal of pooling resources, meaning there have been times where McKenna from McKenna's Talent Agency maybe needed um, an email address for one of the studios that maybe I had. And so I would give her that email address or I would even do one better of introduce her to my connection at the studio to help open the door for her. And the same thing with Ezra, where I needed a contact to a streaming network and all the contacts that we had, they were no longer with the company and he had a contact over there. And so he was able to introduce me to that person, which then led us to the right person that we needed. And that was what it was designed to do was for us to be able to support one another, you know, and, and help one another if we could. And as wonderful of a utopia all this sounds is that I found that there are a lot of people who were not interested in something like this. And so last month at our last meeting, we found that it was consistently for the last two months, just myself, McKenna and Ezra at these meetings. And so I said, you know what, guys, I was actually going to release a press release about the statement I was making in terms of um, systemic racism in Hollywood and how if you are with those agencies that control this industry, you are funding it. And I said, you know, this opportunity probably will be better served to promote the joint venture that the three of us have entered into, which is the Black Agents Network. And so that's where it came from. 
And so if there's anyone who's just like, well, there are more black owned agencies, how come they're not a part of this? It's simply because of the people that we reached out to, they just weren't interested. Yeah, that's well, first of all, congratulations on doing that with everybody else who's involved and to having the, I guess, audacity to start something super collaborative at this time. But also, it's interesting for me to hear that you're finding, you know, supportive teammates and people around you, because I know that even though what we're doing is on I Like Networking is a lot of mentoring programs, you haven't encountered that in when you were starting a business. So if you don't mind telling us a little bit about that, about growing up, uh, where you grew up, and if you were always interested, you know, in the arts and entertainment. Yeah, so I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. Now Phoenix, I believe, is like the fifth largest city in the United States, but at the time it wasn't. And so my childhood just consisted of basically being in what we would call a red state, a state that was heavily Republican, a state that wasn't always the most, um, we'll say, um, desegregated. I guess that's the best word to say. Like, for instance, my father went to a segregated high school. He had to be bused to a high school that was further away from where he lived. Still had, you know, some Jim Crow era things. Um, but also for retrospect, my father was born in 1940. So he had me later in life in his 40s. So I have a different perspective when it comes to civil rights issues in the United States because there were things that my father went through versus my classmates. It was maybe their grandfather. Okay. So um, had the traditional upbringing in Phoenix and I ended up going off to college. I went to um, an HBCU, which is a historically black college and university um, in Mississippi called Jackson State, was over there for a year. And then after that, I transferred over to Chapman University down in Orange, California. So the majority of my adulthood was spent in California, um, chasing this dream, if you will, of entertainment. I did try to work in entertainment, but anybody who works in entertainment knows that it is similar to construction, where you're always looking for your next job. And I couldn't survive with that business model. So I went and worked a regular job in accounting, you know, where I had a steady check every week. But my best friend continued to work in entertainment and was working as a PA and as a coordinator on various shows. And he was out there doing it. I just couldn't couldn't live my life like that. But what I did do was keep my ear to the ground along the way and helped him with his projects. I went and basically acted as his agent when I was in my early 20s and started pitching his projects to other studios and production companies. And he had asked me to be his agent. But at the time, all I knew of it to be was to be, um, you had to be an attorney. And I really didn't want to go back to school at that point. And um, in 2009, when the economy tanked in the United States, um, I ended up moving back to Arizona to spend some time with my dad. And I ended up enlisting in the military. So at 27, 28 years old, I'm now off in the army. Um, when I got out of the army, I moved back to LA and I said, okay, I'm going to work in entertainment no matter what, like I'm going to do what I love. And so I started producing my own projects, just little things, music videos I did for like an up and coming rapper. We did um, a promo event at um, the West Hollywood Pride for a promoter. And I was doing like um, web series and shows and all kinds of things. I just was out here creating to the best of my ability. Um, in hindsight, I wish that I would have seen, because I was doing this stuff the same time Issa Rae was, <laughs> I wish that I had seen that they needed some people because I had all the gear and the equipment. 
but oh well. So as I was casting these projects that I was producing and filming and doing everything, I was this, you know, one woman band, if you will, on all of this. They were all saying the same thing, these actors, like, oh, it's so hard to get an agent. I can't seem to find anybody, yada, yada, yada. And it was something that was familiar to me from when I was in my early 20s. We had the same problem looking for things for my best friend. And so I looked into it. I did briefly attempt an internship at an agency. However, the owner of that agency uh, made a racist statement that I wasn't okay with. And so I went ahead and left and I just opened up my own shop. And so we really did just start this thing from the ground up with no previous experience, no help, no nothing. Um, And here we are six years in and now we're into year seven. So the birth was atypical. Obviously, I haven't really been able to meet anyone um, who's like me, where they just were like, okay, you guys won't hire me. You won't have me. I'm going to start my own. What I can say is that even after having four to five years under my belt, I did go back to other agencies and attempt to get hired even as entry level. And I still was unsuccessful in that attempt. So nothing had changed from where I was setting. You know, now we have this whole diversity, equity and inclusion initiative and this call for more black agents. And I'll be honest, I did turn in my resume at CAA, actually. I still have yet to hear from them. And I even told them, I don't need a salary. I can work commission only. (laughs) They make so much money over there. I don't need a salary. (laughs) So for me, I haven't really seen a lot of change behind the scenes when it comes to executives, unfortunately. And so now with everything that's going on, we've just accepted that nothing's really going to change. But from a public relations standpoint, they're going to make it seem like they're trying to make some things change. And where we fit in in all of this is, is that we ourselves as the Jackson Agency have the ability to hold ourselves accountable for impacting the change that we want to see. And so we decided as an agency to just keep moving in the direction that we're moving and to create opportunities for ourselves and amongst ourselves. And eventually we'll get where we need to be if it's meant to be. Before we go more into that, just when you were in the army, was there something, was that the moment that you realized, look, I don't want to do this anymore. I really should be chasing my dream. No, unfortunately I was injured um, and could oh, no, no continue on. So when you have that goal and dream taken away from you, you have to then find another, right? Otherwise your soul will remain on this earth forever with unfinished business. So we had to let that go basically. That's very strong of you in any case. I think a lot of people find it hard to pivot, you know, when something like that comes. And I think now we're seeing that happen a lot because with COVID, a lot of jobs just disappeared and people kind of have to reinvent themselves. So you showed up in California without knowing anyone and then you went out to work. So did you, so you learned almost everything by doing and how did you get those first opportunities? Yeah, I did obviously have a lot of on-the-job training in that regard of tackling things as they came along. I had a perspective as a producer of just understanding talent and what I would like to see, you know, if I were going to cast somebody. So that easily translates into aging. Along the way, um, like I've mentioned before, I I really had some moments where I'm like, hey, do you really want to be involved in this? Because My major in college was in communications, and so I understand the power of the media and how it can be used to manipulate people, you know, and essentially pacify and control the masses. And one of the first auditions that we received was for a cigarette 
print campaign, which is a photograph in a magazine. And legally, you have to be 25 years of age to do alcohol or tobacco commercials or print, you know, anything like that. But this particular project wanted someone to be 25, but to look more like they were 18. And this project was specifically looking for a black male. So you can figure out pretty quickly what they were trying to do, which was work around the legal requirement of having a legal adult in this campaign, but they wanted somebody who looked super young so that they could target minors. That was a hard pill to swallow, I'll be honest. Um, I really had to think about what I was doing if I, one, submit my client for that thing, and two, if I was okay with seeing some of the things that I was going to see being behind the curtain in this industry. I've talked about this before, where with commercials, often in the breakdowns, the hero is the white male. The hero never gets to be the black male. And if a black male is in the breakdown, he gets paid about $150 less than the hero white male. So there were just a lot of systemic things that I was privy to. And it's like, oh, wow, we really, really have to figure out what our place is and what we really want to get out of this and what kind of service we want to provide to our clients armed with this knowledge. I can also imagine that the, you know, the white agents will mostly negotiate with white producers and white businessmen, right? So it is, there are lots of tiers of potential of feeling, you know, of having prejudice and bias against you in the, in the complex of the industry. Absolutely. And you, you see it when white people specifically immediately went on the defense when diversity and inclusion was introduced. And the funny thing is, is that if you really look at it, yeah, Tawana Burke had the Me Too hashtag for the longest time, but it really didn't gain any visibility or traction until Reese Witherspoon got involved. And so if we're looking at it from a Hollywood perspective, like we know the Me Too meetings were being held at the, at the agency that they were all repped at, which was CAA. And so those meetings involved some women who have now put themselves in positions to be producers on these projects. Um, mainly to put themselves in projects and to bring themselves to the status they wanted to be in. But when I had conversations, unsolicited, mind you, <laughs> with white men, one white man told me flat out that I was smart for focusing on diversity and that he felt like with everything going on that the white man was going to go by way of the dinosaur. And I just thought it was funny slash insulting, right? Because there was nothing smart about me being committed to diversity because we've been committed to diversity since day one. Diversity and inclusion, the initiative is literally only two years old and I've been here for six going on seven years. So what I had the courage to do was to be that agency that said, my roster will look like Los Angeles. I didn't overload with anything and I never told anybody, oh, we already have two Black people or we already have two Asians. We're not taking on anymore. And that's traditionally and historically what's happened at these other agencies that other agencies is that they'll have one or two where we said, hey, your demo reel's good. You've trained. You're good talent. Come with us. We'll work with you. And that's what we've done. But nowhere in there in any of these diversity statements have I ever heard anyone say death to the white male. But it's interesting that that's how white men counter this, because I think, honestly, it comes from a phrase that we hear a lot of white guilt and that white guilt will show you where their heart really is. And it'll also show you 
that they're low-key admitting that they did a lot of these things that they've done maliciously and pur- purposefully. Because if someone says, well, hey, we like working with you, but we'd also like to see just a few more people of different backgrounds when we're in this room, why is that such a big deal? And the guy comes back and is like, oh, you're trying to get rid of me. No, we literally just said, we're cool with you, Bob, but we also just want to see Steve and Rachel too when we're in here. So it is interesting that their immediate defense has been, well, kind of like what happened with, I think it was North Carolina out here with the the, uh, alt-right where they came out chanting, you will not replace us. No one said anything about replacing you. All we said is, is it would just be nice if you were a little less racist. (laughs) <laughs> and listen to what Stacy had to contribute to today's meeting a little bit more. Like that's all that we're asking for. But in their minds, it's a, you're trying to get rid of us. I need to fight for my job and my survival. I'm scared. Well, if that's the case, then that means that everything that you've been doing this entire time was deliberate. And that's why you're scared because you're worried that what you've done to us, we will turn around and do to you. And I'm here to tell you, we're not trying to do anything to you. You know, we're, The black community is a very forgiving community. I may not be as such, but I'm not out here trying to replace white men. What I'm trying to do is to make sure that there are people that look like me. There are people that look like you. There are people that don't look like you, that we all have one equal pay, commensurate with experience and job responsibilities. And that too, you can't run around being passive aggressive in the workplace and then say, oh, you're the problem. That's it. That's all I'm trying to do. Is just to make sure that everybody who's qualified to earn income in the entertainment industry has an opportunity to do so. Absolutely. I feel like I should have ended with that question because we went to such a high and I don't even know what to say. Oh, no. I love that. And we actually had an interview recently and it's about diversity in the newsroom as well. And it, oh, the same, apparently it's the same problem in terms of there's not enough you know, diverse journalists and then they hired people, but then they only put them in like the lower sort of jobs where there's not enough decision-making powers. And so a lot of disastrous reporting still happens, you know, they hire their first talent to be like the entry-level jobs, but then there's no one at the top who actually can guide the decision. So I think there's still a lot to go in that way. And as you said, the diversity had equity it's only been going for two years i guess in the u.s so we still have lots of work to do and with that said i think it would be interesting to know where you get your how can i say this your resilience from like how do you get the forces to keep going when things bring you down um honestly it really just is from my family and ancestors my grandfather was the first black man hired in los angeles county to be a mechanic And we're talking about Los Angeles, who, let's just be honest, still has that racial divide of you could not live above the 105 freeway. So you had to stay down on Compton, had to stay down on Watts. We still see those issues with the way LAPD over polices black communities, but then barely provides units in the San Fernando Valley. Um, So he had to deal with that. My father was the first black superintendent of a manufacturing plant. So there were things that he had to deal with. So when we got to a point where we started looking into what I was doing with the agency and then also the WGA franchises, we came to realize that as far as we can tell, I may be the first in that arena to do some of the things that I'm doing and operating in multiple markets. But also the first that I'm doing, not saying I'm the first Black woman ever to do certain things, but I appear to be the first Black woman who really didn't have deep-rooted ties in the industry. A lot of people that you meet 
they were already working in music or they were an attorney in certain spaces. So they had those relationships and connections that were taught that we need to have. I didn't have any of those. I had absolutely nothing. What I did have was an office and a computer. That's it. And so from there, I had to build everything from scratch from the ground up. And there are still places that I can't get into. There are people that I can't get a hold of. We've attempted to do deals with some of the bigger agencies and they just ignore us. Like it's not easy by any any means. And I want to make that perfectly clear is that it is no easier for me to go out and do things for my clients than it is for you to be out here trying to get things started for yourself. I would say we're in the exact same space because these systems were designed to where the people who created the systems and are currently in power, they dictate who gets the benefit of what we call the benefit of the bargain, the benefit of the deal, whose business actually gets to succeed. It's not controlled by me. I love that. And I think it's really commendable that you didn't give up on your dreams. And also, I guess you have a responsibility now to your clients. But would you tell us a little bit more? How was the growth of the agency? Did you start with five clients, one client? Did it grow organically and really well? Or did you got, get periods that were more difficult than others? Yeah, when I started, I think we started with a little over 50. I actually had to meet that requirement to get started to gain access to one of the casting sites. They had a minimum requirement from new agencies, which, you know, it's a bit unfair, you know, so I really had to hustle and sign a bunch of people that, like I've said in other interviews, I had no business signing, but I needed the numbers in order to get the door open and get things started. And I naively thought that if I taught them what needed to be done and explained everything to them and really like pushed them to try to succeed, that they would do it. But that is the biggest lesson that I've had to learn in the six years that I've been doing this going on seven is that you cannot pull someone towards success. They're either going to keep up with you, stride for stride, right by your side, or they're going to latch onto you and let you drag them as you're running feverishly with their added resistance <laughs> to your marathon. And so we've gotten to that point now where, as of last week, I literally told my clients, we can no longer continue to carry the majority of you. If you're not out here actively trying to make things happen for yourself, we can no longer work with you because the truth is, is that we've been doing a hundred percent of the work, but we're only entitled to 10% of the money. And so that's the most important thing that every artist has to understand is that the agency, the agent, the manager, whatever, they're just another tool to try to assist you in some instances. Yes, they can navigate certain spaces that you cannot navigate by yourself, but we are not solely responsible for your success. You are the agent, and so do usually actors have managers beyond the agent, and then is that how it works? They could. I mean, if you go by the A-listers model, they'll have a publicist, an attorney, a manager, and an agent. Um, so they'll have what you would call like an entire team. Sometimes those teams do not interact. Sometimes they are actual teams. It all just depends um, but if you're dealing with being a beginner, then you'll probably have a manager and hopefully that manager is halfway decent. Most are not. In the beginner, you might have an agent from a, a boutique, a smaller agency, an independent agency, an agency not owned by a corporation. 
And those agents will be the same. They're either good or they're not good, you know, but then it also turns into you as a client, you know, are you competitive enough? Is your profile squared away? Can you actually act? So there's so many variables that go into it. Um, at a minimum, you could start with a manager or you can go straight to agent or not have representation at all. There's so many different ways that you can get started thanks to the fact that we went digital, meaning there are casting sites that you can use to submit yourself. In Europe, you have that eTalenta, you have Spotlight in the UK, we have Actors Access, Casting Frontier, Casting Networks here in the US, and I think some of those are over there in the UK too. So there are a lot of different different sites that you guys can use to submit yourself for opportunities on the acting side with the writing side, you have blacklist, you have the, um, was it the ISA, you have ink tips. So you have all of these things that are there for you that didn't exist when I first was getting involved in entertainment over 20 years ago, the advent of technology and the computer and internet really opened this industry up to create more opportunities for content creators to create because in the past, you needed to have a significant amount of money to even try to create something. Now you can literally grab your cell phone and tape whatever you want. You can grab your laptop and write whatever you want. It's, it's a beautiful thing. But by doing that, it also made things even more competitive than they already were. Are you still very hands-on on the running of the clients day-to-day? Or are you more working now management and the strategy of the agency and you have you know, other agents working for you doing that? How do you kind of manage your time? It's still both, actually, because I do have other agents that have joined us now. I have several junior agents that I'm teaching and trying to get them to kind of think like me and, and handle certain things. Um, but, you know, I've been the face of this thing. And so for a lot of people, I'm who they want to deal with. And I'm trying to get everybody to start dealing with the junior agents <laughs> so that, that it can free me up to go do other things, but we're also trying to get them to understand that some of the things that they're reaching out to us about have nothing to do with us and that maybe they need to seek a manager or maybe just go talk to somebody else to help them with certain things. You know, there are some things that are just unnecessary. Like I don't need to know like something is going on with your dog or your family, or, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to go for a walk today. I don't know. It's a terrible example. I, I, none of that. I won't give an example, but Sometimes there are just things where we're just like, okay, what does this have to do with us? <laughs> um, which in one, in one aspect, I'm thankful that they're comfortable enough to communicate with us, but I think they need to be a little bit more mindful. And this isn't even just my clients. It's like people who aren't even my clients, because I can't even express to you like the weird things that people say to me on the DMs for the agency's Instagram or tweet or call or email. Um, because I've been out here as the face and you know how it is when you see somebody every day and you've watched them, you feel like you know them. And so then they want to come and talk to me. Like I've had strangers who I don't even know come and ask me for advice about certain things and I'm obliged, but it's just been weird. You know, it's like they don't support the agency in any way, shape or form, but they wanted me to tell them what they should do with their careers. So I am getting to that point where, yes, I would like to shift to hundred percent of really focusing on the next trajectory and the vision for what we're doing, but we're able to do it pretty much simultaneously. We can take moments and start chipping away at certain things that we're doing. Like one of the agents now, he has a strong um, music background. So he's working on setting up what will be our music and touring department while he's also handling Chicago, right? 
with the understanding that eventually we'll be looking for an agent to replace him for Chicago so that he can focus 100% on really what his background is, which is the music and advertising aspect of things. So everybody has unique skill sets here so that we can work on all these things and start laying that infrastructure. And then when it's time and it's fully developed, then we can start training the next wave of the future of the the next batch of junior agents to come in and start handling these departments as we continue to go run the other new ventures that we've each designed for ourselves. That's amazing. So there's a music sector coming up. Yes, because I have, um, I have a background in music through my father. My father is a published musician. He's done multiple records. Um, and I think it's important we also understand that publishing is something that anyone can do. So don't think it's like, oh, he's at Arista Records. No, he created his own label, just like how I created my own agency. We figured out very quickly that entrepreneurship is what drives the soul in my family tree. We are not going to sit around and beg for anyone's permission to do a damn thing. So he has songs that air on the radio on occasion, and he does receive, uh, was it uh, royalties for that? Um, and so knowing about his records, being at home when there's band practice, like there was last night where he plays guitar and he has an actual live band that comes and plays and they do gigs. Um, I feel confident that we can move into that space and then co combined with the skill set that Kareen has, um, we should do very well with launching some sort of um, independent music label here inside of the agency so that we can give a platform to the artists that we already represent for acting who are singers. We have some bona fide, straight up and down singers here. And the other, you know, major mainstream record labels haven't been giving them an opportunity to show what they have. And I'm no fool. I can see it. They're amazing. So if we're in a position to, create a platform for them why wouldn't we that's kind of the point that's why we're here I, did you get better at spotting talent or was that something that was always easy for you i feel like it was always easy for me what i did had to get had to get better at was not allowing people to waste my time um because that's ultimately if we're talking about how much time has been wasted over the last six years of me giving people opportunities to have representation that, like I've said, had no business having representation. We, well, one, I wouldn't probably be as strong as I am now. So it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of, you know, from a position of gratitude too. It's like, well, if we hadn't experienced those things, we wouldn't know those things exist and we wouldn't know how to properly navigate um, those experiences when they happen or know how to properly react when those things happen. But yeah, we definitely got to a point where we really just cannot have someone who doesn't fit the bare minimum requirements. Like for instance, today we had some meetings that we took with some potential clients. And in order to even submit to my agency, you have to go through our website. Um, and this person today, when we asked him, well, what do you know about the Jackson agency? He didn't know anything. And somehow, some kind of way, he didn't know that it was a Black-owned agency. And when my junior agent recapped it for me, all I could do was laugh. I'm like, how is it possible? Like, how did you even find us? And you didn't know that we were Black-owned, that you didn't know that I existed. 
Like it just, it just, it didn't make any sense, but often that happens. What'll happen is that something will pop up and someone will be like, oh, you should go here. And then they just go there. They don't do their research. They don't really take the time to find out what the agency is all about. They don't take the time to find out what the owner's all about. They just go and submit somewhere and then somebody gave you an opportunity. So you just show up. That's a practice that I just don't think is wise at this point, because you may end up aligning yourself with someone who is not the best fit for you um, or really just exists to take advantage of you. And so I just thought it was funny because he was also a black man. And I'm like, how did you not know we were black owned? Like my face is all over the Internet. Yeah, but also I don't think that's good practice in any sector. I mean, you wouldn't show up in an interview without knowing what the company that you apply for does, right? Yeah, but apparently this guy does. <laughs> well, that was at least you have something fun to tell people about, like an anecdote. That's the word, right? An anecdote. Oh, yeah, can but I'm full of those. <laughs> can I ask you a potentially delicate question? But it's something that comes up a lot with yes, our I community. Yes, single. I know. <laughs> well, that, I don't know. Most of our community is the UK, so you might need to have a transatlantic relationship <laughs> if it comes from that no basically i i see that you are very good or you seem to be very good at enforcing your boundaries and making yourself valued or you've been fighting for this for a long time was it always easy for you when you started the agency to charge for your services properly is this something that you've always been really firm on or did you have to do you know I don't know, special discounts or anything, or is it a very specific way to price things? This is something that uh, the people in our community struggle with a lot to getting paid properly uh, as women. Yeah, um, I obviously had various issues because my qualifications came into question with damn near every meeting that I took. When I know for a fact that if I had been a white man, my qualifications would not have been called into question. Um, so we had that issue and then we had the commission percentage issue. Um, and then we just also had the respect issue. And so let's have an honest, logical conversation about knowing your worth and your value, because I can tell you as of an experience that I had yesterday negotiating for one of my producer's clients, that there is a level of delusion that can exist with artists into what they think their compensation could be. And I've got to be very careful because I'm not trying to say you're not valued. But what I'm saying is, is that you need to be logical and realistic with what your rate sheet looks like, because you may be overcharging, if that makes sense. So you have to really look at what your capabilities are, first and foremost, and have the courage to stick to them if you wholeheartedly believe that the rate that you're asking for is fair based on your present skill set. And so let's talk about this for what if it's your first year out of design school? Should you really be charging $5,000 a project when you're still ironing out some kinks, you're still growing as an artist? And you know, at this point, there's only room for improvement and growth. Should you be out here trying to charge, for example, $20 million a picture when you're just out of Yale drama school, right? You have to kind of set a baseline and start somewhere. Luckily, um, especially for the United States specifically, 
we have a ton of labor unions. And with those labor unions, they tend to put out a what is called a minimum, meaning based on the project and the type of project, here is what we say is an acceptable minimum rate of pay. And so when you're trying to figure out, well, what should I be doing? I would look at what your labor unions have out to use as a baseline for what would be appropriate for yourself. Because if the labor union at a minimum says, okay, nobody should get paid less than $200 if they're a member on a low budget project, you probably can't be out here asking for 2000 if that makes sense. So you do have to really take a hard look at what your bottom line is, your cost of goods sold, you know, all those things, your labor, your energy, you know, the, the, the creation and the longevity of the creation as well, because some of you guys are sculptors, right, and novelists. And so you're writing something that's going to be out here indefinitely. So how do you properly monetize something that can literally be sold for hundreds of thousands of years? Those are the things that you're going to have to take a look at. But you do have some schedules that are out there that can kind of help you formulate that number. And then once you've come to a number that you really feel that you're worth, and this is where it's at, you have to have the strength and the courage not to waver if that person's counteroffer is truly unreasonable. For instance, you'll get producers from time to time that are like, hey, Tiana, I know your rate normally for recording sound is 250, but can you do it for 200? Okay. And you can be open to those types of negotiations. But to sit up here for me with the kit that I have and be like, no, my daily rate is $2,000 plus kit, that's a little unrealistic. If I can get it, will I take it? Sure. But I'm not even going to put myself in a position to ask for something that's just outrageous and doesn't make any sense. When if the union says, well, the sound recorders should make about $65 an hour. So that's what you guys need to be looking at. Now, if someone gets, um, gosh, what do I want to say? If someone's just a complete jerk about your rate, then they're not someone you wanted to do business with to, to begin with. Because there are people that will try to bully you into doing what they want you to do and getting what they want. And in my my best advice and opinion is to literally just walk away from that person if they come back later wanting to match your rate, maybe you can entertain it. Maybe you can ask for more because you had to put up with the inconvenience of their attitude. But there's no reason at this point really to argue with someone. And that's coming from me today dealing with a guy who was in the agency DMs incessantly asking me about submitting and I directed him towards the website. And after he submitted, he kept coming back saying, well, I submitted. When am I going to hear something? And I said, we're busy. Okay, well, um, I'm about to go to another agency if you don't respond. And I'm like, we're busy. I told you you can submit through the website. And if another agency is interested in you, then please go to another agency. He didn't like that response and then told me that I was horrible. <laughs> so at the end of the day, when people don't get what they want, they're going to react a certain way. You do not have to accept that reaction. But what you can do is remove yourself from the equation altogether. So hopefully that is helpful. I think that's very helpful. Thank you for that. And since we're talking about helpful things, what is one advice you'd give anyone trying to break into the, I guess, the entertainment industry, either, I think, mainly as an agent at this point, but, you know, potentially producing or even being a manager? What do you think you'd say to them? I mean, not that um, that's the best time, maybe COVID aside. 
Yeah. I mean, I can tell you what I did. That's the only thing I can tell you is that I studied the heck out of this industry because I had been following the industry since I was like 11 or 12. So I had a good understanding of the, the inner workings of a lot of things. Do I know everything? No. But what I did do was to go out and self-fund an education in anything that I was curious about. Meaning I started buying Canon like T2i cameras, right? And playing and making films and learning color correction and editing and recording sound, you know, casting, producing, you know, I went to line um, budget um, classes, you know, I, I went to business plan classes. I did my own film school, if you will. So that way I knew a little bit about everything and how everything worked. For me, that has obviously benefited my clients because when we've had issues with their self-tapes or their reels or they're having trouble navigating something, I've been able to say, okay, well, here's how this works based on my time here or here's what I did in the past that worked. And so I think that's what sets me apart from other agents is that I do have a pretty good understanding of all of the inner workings of the industry. Um, but that doesn't mean that I can do them all well, right? So it's like, what, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. I'm an advocate of that. I'm a fan of that because I feel like that makes you a better business person. If you don't know how certain things work, I do think that you should take the time to just get a little bit of an understanding because that's going to help you, especially when you're going out and trying to hire someone. And it makes sense to me. If, if you don't really know how production development or production design is done, how can you in good faith hire a good production designer, right? If you don't know what to look for. And so it's the same thing you were asking me before, Isabel, with how, have you gotten better at spotting like good talent? And it's something that you do learn over time. But what I've also gotten good at is spotting troublemakers. <laughs> there is this genome with artists. There's this thing that you all do, that you all possess if you're going to be a troublemaker. And a lot of you guys don't realize it, but I can pick up on it quite easily now because we'll ask a certain question and how you respond to that question lets me know, oh, you remind me of these other six people that we had and we had that same issue when we asked that question and then they became pains in the butt. So I'm not even going to invite you to work with us because we've already been down this road before. I, I agree with you with the jack of all tracing. That was exactly my experience. I did set design. I did makeup. I did everything. I, you know, I served lots of coffee to lots of people. And I think it's important when you, it makes you actually value the team you have, right? Exactly. The contribution that people do. And I love that. And I think it's great because that's the sort of thing you did is something that people can do, you know, outside of a university setting. So it, it can be less exclusive, right? Because, I mean, I didn't go to film school or anything, but um, I think it's it's really good advice. And Jonah, thank you again so much for staying with us one more time. So let me see if this question, this answer change. What is uh, something good that you have been seeing or that we should be looking out for? It could be film, music, theater, TV, anything. Yeah. So right now, one of my producer clients is starting to fundraise for a significant um, historical feature film. So I'm excited to be involved in that process and see where that goes. Another producer client, we're taking some projects that we have from our writing clients here at the agency and starting to attach her to those and um, take them to network. We already talked about the music aspect that's still moving along full speed ahead. And I'm also still working on actually building a film fund so that we can start to produce 
um, on our own because one, that's similar to what the other agencies do. If you look at their client list, they represent the distribution companies, they represent the production companies, they represent the banks and the financiers. And so logically, in order for us to be competitive in the market, we would need to start doing the same. So we're just operating from the space of we're going to stay true to our vision and our mission, but understand that now we're going to have to manifest our own destiny. And so I'm still looking for some from every corner of the earth. We need people to follow the agency, boost the signal, tell your friends about what we're doing, find like-minded people who want to work with us. Um, There really is strength in numbers and there really is strength in community. Absolutely. I think that's the best way to end it. And that's what we're trying to do. And I think you're trying to do that as well, you know, in spite of everything. And it's been so, so nice to talk to you again, Jonah. Thanks again so, so, so much. And I hope it's nice weather over there. Uh, it's very sad here in London, very gray. But yes, I hope we can some, meet some fun soon, coronavirus-free in the sunny weather of California. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the I Like Networking podcast. Please remember to share, subscribe, and review the podcast so that more people can find us. All the information discussed on this episode will be on the show notes. See you next time.